Actually, when someone does, uh, someone who's under our care or is preparing for ministry, uh, Andrew happens to be an intern, pastoral intern with us. Usually, we when they when they're going to preach, we try to get all the pastors up here to pray over them. And I know how patronizing that could look. That is not the intent. The intent is a way of saying how grateful we are that that we that we all get to serve in a church who values leadership development, who values uh, in investing in and being invested in by people training for the ministry. Andrew is one of four people uh, on our staff that's preparing for pastoral ministry in one way or another um, over the next couple of years. And he is, you're about half, halfway through yeah. seminary. He's at Grand oh, Rapids man. Theological Seminary. Uh, so we're just introducing Andrew more to you, although he needs no introduction here because he's the guy with two color socks playing the guitar often. Um, many me. of us know, yes. many of us have known him for that. But I just did learn over Christmas that my son-in-law and my son and my nephews, they all, no one has socks that match anymore. So you started that trend about six years ago. So it's taken off. Andrew has authority in our culture. Um, we're... We're just going to pray for him. I just want to say, <laughs> you can take his notes. I did that for Phil when he preached his first message. You, take, take, you take take took him one. Yeah. All right, that'd be helpful. Um, I just want you to know, I, I'm looking forward to what you, what God has yeah. to say. So let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you and thank you for your servant, your, the man that you've chosen today to deliver your message to us. And Lord, we pray exactly that, that this is your message to us, not Andrew's message to us. Lord, they will be his words, but send it out. And do not let it return void. Lord, we pray that if there's something he does not have planned to say that you want him to say, make it clear within him that that it is is your word. And Lord, if there's something he has planned to say that you don't want said, wipe it from the page, wipe it from his memory. Because we only want to see and hear and receive what you want us to see and hear and receive today. So Lord, be blessed by this. Thank you for this opportunity to hear what you're going to do through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, geez. Wow. <laughs> you guys got to eat yourself one of those. That was good. That was good. Um, so, good morning. That was weak. Good morning. Happy New Year. Uh, I love congregational participation. How many of you stayed up to witness the ball drop last night? And how many of you watched the uh, Dick Clark show? A few. So, you saw Mariah Carey. All right, now, so today is about trust. I'll say that off the bat. Mariah Carey is going to have some trust issues moving forward. Uh, and this is, this is weird, preaching the same thing twice, because I've made that joke before, and I feel now kind of cheesy saying it again, a little bit cheap. I did. People laughed. Yeah. Tough crowd. Um, so... There's something really awesome about being able to preach the first uh, of the year, especially the first of this year, uh, 2017, because it has some unique characteristics. Uh, Specifically, 50 years ago next week, Community Reform Church began. God has been working uh, and transforming this community through community for 50 years. So that's incredible. And for me to have the privilege to proclaim the word of God to you and for you to uh, humbly listen to a 24-year-old. Thank you for that. So 50 years ago, community began. Multiply that time by 10. 500 years ago, the Reformation began. God changed the course of history in his church drastically. And that's where we find ourselves now. So you multiply 500 by 8, you get... 
Nice, whoever said that. That was good. That was good. Yeah, I'm, I'm making sure you guys are, uh, are awake. 4,000 years ago, we find ourselves in the time of Abraham. Maybe not to the year, uh, but around this time, 4,000 years ago, Abraham was called out of his land, and that's where we find ourselves this morning in Genesis. Now, there are a few reasons that I chose Genesis 22. Somebody asked me, why choose the sacrifice of Isaac to launch the beginning of the new year? Uh, because this passage is kind of morose and scary to think of, of what happened, um, and honestly. But the reason I chose this passage uh, is because of its familiarity. Most of you have heard this before. You've probably heard this message before, but you've certainly heard this passage before. Um, and if you haven't, it is simple. Uh, it's about truth. So I chose this because of familiarity, and the passage really preaches itself. I could read the text and just leave because this is such a powerful piece of scripture. It's, it's an incredible, incredible story. So that's part of the reason that I think God led me to, to preach this to you today in Genesis 22. Now, there's a couple of things that I want you to keep your eyes out for um, when I'm speaking I want you guys to gain a deeper and wider knowledge of Scripture in its context. And I also want you to be able to allow it to transform your hearts, which leads to life transformation. Maybe not today, uh, but over time, I think that's the heart of what preaching is about, for you to understand Scripture deeper, uh, to know Scripture, and be able to let it just transform you. So those are the two things I want you to watch out for. And the other thing I want us to try to avoid today is we do this very often, I do this all the time, especially in the Old Testament, is we tend to dehumanize the people that are involved in these stories as if they didn't exist. We read the stories as if they're mythological or just so far removed from us today uh, in the year 2017 that we tend to miss the emotions that are going on. We tend to miss the reality of uh, the circumstances in which these characters find themselves in. So I I challenge you, and I'll say this every time that I preach, I want you to put yourselves into the scriptures and discover what God has said to his people because scripture, reading scripture, isn't about inventing what God has said, but it's about discovering what he has for his people. So I want you to place yourself in this story, whether that be as Abraham, as, as Isaac, as Sarah, or just as an observer or an outsider, wherever you are, I want you to place yourself in this story. How would you react and respond to what's going on in these stories? So I want you to place yourself in these scriptures. And finally, before we uh, move on, I want you to hold everything that I say up to this question. It is, will you trust me? And that's not, will you trust me? That's God saying to his people, will you trust me? Uh, so just for the sake of participation, I want you guys to repeat that back to me. I love this so much. Will you trust me? Awesome. Thank you so much. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Everything I say, I want you to hold up to that question and wonder why, uh, and ask why what I say relates to that question, because I believe that's what this question, or this passage is really ultimately about. So with that being said, we can't talk about Isaac and Abraham without first talking just briefly about the uh, history of Abraham. If you are using the Bibles that are in the pews, uh, just a couple of pages into page Let's see, 11, and you'll find yourselves at Genesis 12, and it'll be on the screen. You can follow along, so follow along with me. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse 
and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. As modern day year 2017 readers, uh, we often miss some of the things that ancient readers and hearers wouldn't have missed. So this first part, uh, we get the whole leave your country and your people part, right? A couple of years ago, I went on a mission trip with my wife uh, with community uh, to the Dominican Republic. We literally left our country. We left most of the people that we love. We brought some of them with us. Uh, we went to a different country that's out of our comfort zone uh, following God's call for us. But after a week or so, we returned. We came back to the people we loved and back to security and comfort and uh, all those sorts of things. For Abraham, what we miss is the third part where God says, leave your father's household. Now, 4,000 years ago, your father's household was your identity. It was your security. It was your inheritance. It was your, uh, it was your everything, basically. It was your foundation, what you fell back on. It was what your family continued down from, your father's household. So when Abraham was asked to leave his father's household, God was saying, will you trust me? And that if Abraham died childless, his name stops there. His line doesn't continue through him. If his father died, uh, he would inherit some portion of the family property or uh, livestock or servants or wealth. He would inherit these things from his father. But when he cut those ties, he left that security and that comfort and followed God's calling. Now, I asked us not to dehumanize the people in the scriptures. Uh, so we, we tend to see Abraham as this perfect man of unwavering faith, but he's a human being. He was a human being just like we are. This choice was difficult for him. The choice to leave this comfort and stability, to follow to a land that God will show him, the uncertainty of that. God is asking a lot of Abraham. Will you trust me, Abraham, with all that you have? God also says, I will make you into a great nation. We don't hear that language very often here. Uh, God's, bless, God's saying that he will bless him with children, with descendants as numerous as the stars. Now, remember I said that this passage is familiar to a lot of you. I want you to hear this again for the first time today. Uh, with these emotions in play, uh, Abraham was, was promised children. Now, he's 75 years old when God called him out of his father's household and out of his land. He's childless, and his wife Sarah is barren. But... He leaves. He follows God's call. And he does so without some sort of a down payment from God, right? God could have given him just a, a taste of the promises that he would receive later just to help him, coax him in almost into making that decision, but he doesn't. Abraham doesn't get those, uh, that taste or that down payment from God. So he's leaving into this land of uncertainty to a land God will show him. He is on the road now, 75-year-old man. His wife is barren. And there's something that we, we should know now. So we're into the life of Abraham. He's on the road. He's following God's call for his life and his family. His relationship with God is dynamic and vivid in the sense that he communicates with God. He doesn't just speak to God or pray to God. He prays with. And in some parts of Genesis, he negotiates with the transcendent king of the universe. So Abraham speaks to the creator God. His relationship with God is dynamic, but it's not perfect. And the fact that Abraham and Sarah have no children brings in complications to the story and into their marriage. Now, I don't have children. Uh, from what I hear, though, when you have children and they grow up 
and they move on to, to college or they, they get married. Who would do that, right? Uh, they get married or they, they start their career or they buy their first house and you, you become an empty nester. Uh, that, that silence can be met with one of two emotions. Uh, the first is gladness or gratitude. Uh, this is typically felt by, uh, maybe not typically, but mm, okay, maybe by the father, uh, where the kids are out of the house finally for the first time in maybe 25 years. You can kick back your feet. You can breathe easy. There's a huge weight off your shoulders and you can rest. You can enjoy that peace. But the second emotion that's often met when you're an empty nester is one of sorrow. Your children are gone, and it feels like your purpose has sort of diminished. Your children don't need you as much as they do, or at least their needs aren't as urgent as they were for the last 25 years. You're not cooking their meals anymore. You're not tucking them in. I don't know how many of you would do that if they were in high school still, but <laughs> you're not doing these sorts of things, and you, you, loneliness creeps into the story. Now, that silence in that case is dreaded. And that's where Abraham and Sarah are. The, the lack of children crying and laughing is not a source of gladness and gratitude for Abraham and Sarah. It is a source of pain. Maybe for Sarah more than Abraham because Sarah can't provide for, for her husband, the children that they both desperately, desperately want. And so we said Abraham's not perfect. Abraham and Sarah attempt to manifest these promises of God without God's help. Uh, that wasn't their intention when they did this, but looking back, that's what it was. And so in that culture, uh, and it's sort of similar today, but in that culture, um, if you had a servant, and Sarah did, you could ask that servant to become a surrogate mother for you and your, uh, your marriage if you couldn't have kids. So that's exactly what they did. Uh, they didn't have in vitro fertilization, but you get the idea. Uh, so... Sarah and Abraham have a child through their servant, Hagar. The child's name is Ishmael. Now, that child is legitimately and legally their son. He is the heir to his inheritance. If they don't have any more children, Abraham's line will continue through him. But, as we know, on this end of things, that's not what God had in mind. And an angel of the Lord appeared to Abraham and told him, this time next year, your wife will become pregnant. And Abraham said, there's no way. She's just too old, which is not something I would suggest any married man in here say to or about his wife. Um, I'll always be older than Ellen, so I can never say that. Uh, so anyway, they have Ishmael. Sarah is now pregnant, just as that angel had pro or prophesied. And they have a baby of their own. They name him Isaac. Abraham is 100 years old at this point. Sarah was no longer barren. They have this child, Isaac. And you can imagine that having this, uh, the, the, this, this kid be a surrogate mother would bring in some tensions and some complications to their marriage and to this story, and it does. In fact, Ishmael starts to mock and laugh at Isaac, which just a cool little bit of thing. Isaac means he laughs uh, in Hebrew. But Ishmael is mocking and making fun of Isaac, and Sarah and Abraham send Hagar and Ishmael away, meaning they have cut him from the line of inheritance. And now Isaac is the heir, the firstborn, so to speak, is their only son after sending Ishmael and Hagar away. So finally, after 25 years following God's uh, command to this land that he will show them, 
The promises of God are beginning to unfold. This is chapter 21. Uh, Chapter 12, Abraham was called. Chapter 21, Isaac was finally born 25 years later. The very next chapter, chapter 22, is our text for this morning. God asks for Isaac. So if you just turn your Bibles a few more pages, you can follow along either in your Bibles or on the screen. Again, place yourself in here. Hear this for the first time. Discover what God has for us. It begins chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, here I am, my son. Abraham replied, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. They reached the place God had told him about. Abraham built the altar and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Don't lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. I want to back up a little bit. I I want to work through uh, these verses a little bit closer. And starting from verse 22, uh, immediately we get this sense that God wants us to know that everything's going to be okay. He starts this passage off by saying, God tested Abraham. So it seems like he's preparing us for something bad, but just letting us know that this is going to be okay. Uh, And God calls out to Abraham, and Abraham replies with the word for behold in Hebrew. He says, here I am. It's a sense that Abraham wants God to look at him and to see him. Behold that Abraham is present. Abraham wants God to know that he is present, ready, and willing. Here I am. That phrase shows up three times in this chapter. And God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and there's no doubt in my mind that the reason God said four different ways your son was to remind Abraham how important this child was. Take your son, your only son. Abraham, remember, you sent Ishmael away. Your line ends without Isaac. The one you love, Abraham, you have waited for this child for 100 years. This child you love. His name is Isaac. Go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. That word sacrifice in Hebrew is the same word for slaughter. Depending on how you use it, you can mean slaughter uh, like an animal or you can mean sacrifice like sacrificial lamb. Here it's sacrifice and that'll come into play a little bit later. 
Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. Uh, That's reminiscent of God's original calling on Abraham to go out of his land and leave his father's household. Abraham knows at this point that this calling is going to be difficult. This calling is going to take trust. Abraham, will you trust me? So early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Now, the amount of wood needed to build an altar and to sacrifice was substantial. This is not a small amount of wood. This isn't just some kindling and a few logs. This is a lot of wood. And Abraham is 113 years old. You can imagine in his old age, his son probably helped him cut this wood. And for every chop of the axe, Abraham knows what he has to do. That's got to be haunting for Abraham, but he keeps on going. As Isaac helps him prepare the wood that he would be sacrificed on. And his journey took three days to get to the mountain that God showed him. Three days of traveling, Abraham knows all the while, every, every mile that they walk, Abraham knows what's going to happen and what he has to do. And I, I, I can't even imagine the, the tension and just the uncomfortable, sick feeling in his stomach that he must have felt as he knows what's coming. Stay here with the donkey, he said to his servants. I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father. Abraham responds with that same phrase that he responded to God with. He said, here I am, my son. Look to me. I'm here. I'm present. Just that word I imagine from Abraham was difficult to speak because he knows what's coming. Here I am, my son. And Isaac asks, we have the fire, we have the, we have the knife, where is the sacrifice? And the Hebrew in this next phrase is a little ambiguous. Abraham says, God himself will provide a lamb for the sacrifice of my son. And my son is not clearly defined here in the Hebrew. It can either be Abraham is speaking to his son saying, my son God himself will provide, or it could be the object of will provide. And again, Abraham knows what's coming. Abraham knows that my son is the object of that verb, will provide. God will provide my son for the sacrifice. And they went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built the altar, arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And he reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. That word slaughter is not the same one used in, in verse 2. This word in verse 10 is the other word for slaughter, which is much more violent. This is huge. Abraham was committed. Abraham was devoted. God asked everything of Abraham. He said, will you trust me with all that I have given you? And Abraham has answered here. It was a difficult one, but it was a yes. He raised his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham again replies, here I am. That same phrase 
when God asked him to sacrifice his son. The same phrase when Isaac asked him who the sacrifice, where the sacrifice was coming from. And now the, the angel of the Lord stops Abraham. You can imagine him dropping the knife, the sigh of relief, the, the sick feeling in his stomach dissolving. Here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And we continue into verse 13. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This, this question, will you trust me? It defines Abraham's relationship with God. It's echoed throughout all of scripture. And it describes our relationship with, with God. The relationship God has with his people, will you trust me? So we see this all over in scripture. In the garden, God said to Adam and Eve, he didn't literally say this, but it's implied. God said to Adam and Eve, will you trust me? that this is a good life for you, that continuing to multiply and cultivate the earth, bringing order out of chaos, spreading shalom, will you trust me that that's, that's life-giving, that this tree is not for you? Uh, will you trust me as in the Exodus? God says to his people, will you trust me to take you out of slavery and, and bring you into the promised land, into freedom, and that I will provide for you in the desert? Will you trust me? It's in the law. Uh, God says, will you trust me that my way for your life is life-giving? And it is a righteous life. It's in the prophets. God says to the prophets, I know you risk your life saying what I ask you to say, but will you trust me that it's true? Will you trust me that it will be so? Will you trust me? It's, it was there when Christ was born. God says, will you trust me that in this baby is your salvation that I have come for you? Will you trust me? Is with Christ in the garden of Gethsemane. And Christ is literally sweating blood because he is so distraught. And Christ looks to the Father and says, Father, if there's another way, please take this cup from me because I can't bear it. And God says, will you trust me? And Christ responds, Father, not my will, but yours be done. This is the heart of the gospel, this question. Christ says, will you trust me? Will you trust me with your life, with your death, with your eternity? Christ says, will you put your trust in me? Will you trust me? This trust has nothing to do with prosperity or comfort or fame, stability, or even that this life will continue. But that question echoes 4,000 years ago with Abraham, 500 years ago with Martin Luther, 50 years ago with the founders of this church and today. That question still echoes in our lives. Will you trust me? When money is tight, when the amount of money coming in barely matches the amount of money going out for rent and utilities, uh, for social security, if you've accepted it too soon or you are forced into accepting it too soon, the amount of money coming in doesn't allow you to buy gifts for your grandparents who you wish to spoil. Uh, when, when work has become a, a source of pain for you, when your boss is asking more of you than physically possible, 
God says, will you trust me? Uh, will you trust me when you've, when you've worked 14 hours every day, you come home and study for hours until you fall asleep to wake up doing it over and over and over again to pursue the calling that God has for you? God says, will you trust me? He says, will you trust me when your children have just drained every ounce of life from your bones and you want one good night of sleep that hasn't come in years because the baby monitor doesn't stop. Will you trust me? God says, will you trust me when just the sound of a baby crying is a constant and painful reminder of the joy that others can have and you can't? God says, will you trust me in all of that uncertainty? Will you trust me when you've lost somebody that you love? Will you trust me when somebody that you love is lost? Will you trust me when sin has crept into your marriage and it's on the brink of collapse and you have some massive decisions to make? God says, will you trust me? Will you trust me when disease has torn somebody close to you from your life or when disease is tearing somebody now from your life prematurely? Will you trust me when you're in an abusive relationship and you don't know how to escape that pain? Will you trust me? God says over and over to his people, will you trust me when the, the, the pain from the surgery, the recovery is more than you can bear or the risks of the surgery are greater than the rewards? God says, will you trust me? And maybe uh, most importantly of all, this was and is true of me. God says, will you trust me with and in your disobedience, when you want nothing to do with me, God says, when you've walked away from me, God still asks, will you trust me? That extension is still there. Will you trust me? For years, I said no to that question. God says, will you trust me? With your disobedience, I said no. And I still say no from time to time, but those walls have softened. Hearing that question over and over again. Like Abraham, will you trust me when my calling on your life doesn't seem to make worldly sense? Will you trust me that I will provide for you? Will you trust me with all that you have, with your only son, with your security, your future, your identity, which is no longer in this world, but is from me? God says, will you trust me? And I, I don't want you to answer that question. I just want you to hear it. Because throughout history, Myself included, we have constantly and over and over again said no to God's question, will you trust me? When Abraham uh, sought to manifest God's promises without God, his trust was wavering. Abraham wasn't a perfect human being. I'm not a perfect human being. None of us are perfect. God still asks, will you trust me? Don't answer that, just hear it. You trust me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this new year. Uh, thank you for your, your scripture and the ability that we have to discover what you have for your people, Father. Thank you. And Father, thank you that you are a God we can trust. Thank you that you are a God we can trust not to seek uh, fame or comfort or prosperity and wealth. You're a God we can trust because you are worth trusting. So help us each and every day to slowly begin to answer that question with our actions. Now we could slowly trust you, the transcendent king of the universe who came for us as a baby. It's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray these things. And all God's people said,
Amen. Uh, I did forget to say one thing. Uh, Will You Trust Me is not just for adults. Uh, whether you're an undergrad, high school, middle school, or elementary school, or even before that, life can get difficult. Your integrity will be called on and your beliefs will be challenged. God says, will you trust me to all of us? Uh, my prayer is that even though Genesis 22 is a daunting passage and kind of scary, that it would give us hope that our God can be trusted. I pray that you would hear that question every day, this year, next year, and it will, it will change your life, maybe not towards wealth and prosperity, but it will change your life. With that being said, please go in peace and have a wonderful, wonderful day and be a blessing to others. Amen.